As we're making our way back to our seats, I just want to remind you, as I mentioned earlier, the first Sunday of the month, if you are taking in our service via the YouTube channel, I just trust that you have elements that you can use to partake in the communion uh, time together as uh, you're, we're all invited to the Lord's table. Here at Troshu Baptist, we practice what is traditionally known as an open communion. You need not be a member of the local church, but you need to know Jesus as your Savior because this is what God's people do. As often as you do it, Jesus asks, do this in remembrance of me. And we will do that as we take part at the end. Uh, we've gone back to traditional rather than uh, the uh, little solo cups, fellowship cups. We've gone back to traditional. Last month, we began passing it out. You'll notice that the bread, just to allow the bread not to be in a big pile that we all paw through together, the bread as well as the cups are individual cups, and you can take that out, and uh, each of the trays will have a gluten-free alternative in the middle of that. If you're not gluten-free, and you just, uh, just take the regular bread, just uh, to allow those others who need it to make that choice together. Uh, we look forward to that right at the close of our service today. Well, look at that. Does this remind us of anything? This, in the hands of certain people, that is like a palette of oil paints in the hands of an artist. I have seen people who have that gift and ability take those tools and take a package that they want to basically disguise. They want to disguise the identity of a gift and a package, but they make it from a gift into something special. The wrapping can be so important. You don't even want to put it in the back of the tree. You want certain gifts to be right out front because they are so incredibly beautiful. You know, every year there comes that time. Most of the wrapping, I'll be honest, most of the wrapping, husbands, you can agree with me, is done by mom. Or if you are older like me, most of the wrapping in your house will be done by grandma. But there are those gifts that you buy as a man that you do not want the wrapper of the family, mom or grandma, to know about. And so you have the joy, the challenge, the burden to wrap those presents yourself. If you're like me, you put that incredible blessing off to as late as possible. On the way to church, on Christmas Eve, maybe you'll wrap it up. Or let's on it. How many of you are lazy and you've given up wrapping altogether and you've gone to the gift bag? You know the ones I'm talking about. Throw it in a gift bag, crinkle some newspaper on top. Done. Wrapped. If you're extra lazy, put all the presents in the same bag, you know, and, you know, and, but then the family doesn't have the joy of the, the unwrapping, the, the glorious chaos of Christmas morning. You know, when I come to that package, because it's in a big Rubbermaid, the tape, the scissors, all of the different papers, you know, I have a goal every year. This is my goal. Beautiful packages. That's what I aim for. I want the wrapping to reflect my love for the person I give the gift to. I want it to communicate that you are precious to me, you are special. Look at the time and effort I put into these gifts. That's not actually a picture of my gifts from last year. You know, despite the how-to YouTube videos I watch on wrapping, all of my, my endless hours on Pinterest, that's the goal. I'll show you the reality. This is what my packages look like. They... <laughs> 
And this is a common mistake. I have learned over the years, this is, this is probably my most common mistake. If I get to it early, or Faiz replenish the wrapping paper supply, I always use too much paper. Too much. You know, and most things, more is better. Not with wrapping paper. You're left with so much to fold over and tape all different directions. Well, it has achieved its purpose of disguising the identity of what is deep within that, that, that mess, but it, it really doesn't communicate the love behind it. In fact, those are not artistic tools in my hand. The wrapping paper, the scissors, the tape, they're transformed into, into tools of futility when it comes to me. I, I, I am aesthetically impaired when it comes to wrapping. I can't do it. Too much? Well, that's one of my mistakes. If I come to my wrapping too late in the season, some of you have been there too little paper. That's not so good either. How many of you have wrapped a package with at least three, maybe four different colors of paper on the same package? You know, it doesn't reach, the hemline's too low or whatever. You're trying to put other pieces on and and sometimes you just give up. You look at it, well, it doesn't actually say what the gift is on this patch. It doesn't need any paper at all. Or I can turn it toward the back. And if I put the packages under the tree where you can just glimpse them through the branches, it looks okay. Sometimes in despair, I paw through the box. And down at the bottom, I'll find an old ribbon that maybe was used in years gone by, you know, and, and, and all the adhesives worn off and you have to tape it on as best you can. A ribbon will bring my package to the next level. And look at that. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> it's just, oh boy. You know when I put a, a bow on your package that it, it is in rough shape because, you know, that, that's, that's just like a, an apology. When I stick a bow on it, I'm sorry. You know I tried. It, does, it looks like I didn't, but I did. I really did. Wrapping is just too tough for some of us. Well, as funny as that is, human, human preoccupation with that, the beauty of wrapping and the challenge we may have, when it comes to the Christmas story, God wasn't challenged in that. He was able to wrap His gift, the gift of Jesus, perfectly for us. And if you pay attention not only to the Christmas story, but the life of Christ, you will see that theme throughout. That the gift of God, His only begotten Son, the second person of the Trinity, God Himself, He was wrapped in humanity, the Creator entered into creation and joined us and journeyed with us, became one with us. So in fact, not only our Christmas gifts, but our Sunday morning offering, our offerings of time to our neighbors, everything you do and you give to another person as a follower of Jesus is a reflection of God's gift of Jesus to us. This is communicated throughout the New Testament. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing in 2 Corinthians to the Corinthian church, a whole chapter in chapter 9 about giving. They're giving in church. They're giving to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. The gift they're giving, their attitude in giving, their practice in giving. At the end of that chapter, Paul says it's all in reflection of God's gift of Jesus. 
And he says this short verse, it's so far from the Christmas story that we don't often think of it at all at Christmas time. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, Paul finishes that passage on giving by saying, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. It's a short verse, but it's a unique verse because Paul uses a word in this verse that's used nowhere else in the Bible. In fact, as we study Greek text, we don't find it anywhere. He may have heard it, but for all we know, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul may have coined a word. When you coin a word, you often put two words together, and that's probably what happened here. Maybe up to three words were put together in this passage to form a new word. For instance, if you're old enough to remember the 1970s, internationally there was a terrible thing going on. It was, it was really popularized as, as an international crime by the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the terrorist organization led by Yasser Arafat. You remember that season where they were hijacking airplanes and they flew all those planes out to the desert and held the people hostage and then they blew up the planes on camera? It was a terrible season. They began to put sky marshals on the airplanes and these hijackings. Well, of all people, all people, uh, the American, American uh, broadcaster coined a word. Coined a word, he called it not hijacking, but their airplanes, so he called it skyjacking. And it caught on. Skyjacking, it was a coined word. Well, in this passage, the Apostle Paul, he combines Greek words and tenses, and he says the gift of God is anekdiagetos. <laughs> easy to say. Easy, it's hard, not as easy as Paul Harvey, who coined the phrase skyjacker, Anekdiagetos, Paul says, it's Apostle Paul wrote more of the New Testament by the prompting of the Holy Spirit than anyone else. He was brilliant, man. God had chosen him to be the apostle to the Gentiles to write the theology of the New Testament in the epistles of Paul. He was a scholar. He was far ahead of his contemporaries. And yet when it came to the gift of God, all he could say was anekdiagetos. It's 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 translated here indescribable, but that's not a perfect translation. King James said unspeakable, but when you say something's unspeakable, that's usually a bad thing. So that's not a great translation. Some say it's inexpressible, and that's getting close. Paul's basically saying when it comes to the gift of Jesus, words fail us. It's too wonderful. He gave too much. Some of you open a gift in your life and you've been so astounded that somebody valued you and gave you a gift far beyond what you thought they should have. And you say it. You, your first words are, you shouldn't have. You just shouldn't have. It's too much. When it comes to Jesus, as we see at the communion table, He shouldn't have. He didn't deserve it. God's grace 
was so much greater than our sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He shouldn't have. The indescribable gift. That's what we're talking about today. The indescribable gift of Jesus for us. And the wrapping in that, we can't, words fail us. We can't come to the end of all that Jesus did for us. But we can understand it in part from the wrapping. The wrapping often communicates the love of the gift. We want to use that thought as we come to approach the gift of God this morning. The first thing we want to do is to look at the story of His birth briefly. God's gift was wrapped by loving hands. God's gift was wrapped by loving hands. The hands of a mother. His mother's hands. She loved him. He was precious to her. This surprising child given to her, the Virgin Mary, betrothed to be married to Joseph, but God had other plans for them. She bore the perfect child conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure she had seen it. Maybe as a big sister, she had done it many times. She had to, as young as she was, take care of that little baby, that gift from God, in trying circumstances. No room at the end, giving birth in a barn among the filth and the animals. The pain of it. But all of that disappears when she holds the gift in loving hands. We read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Familiar passage, but wondrous. And those loving hands took that little baby as she swaddled him. The cloths that she took, I'm sure she didn't have uh, sterile swaddling cloths picked up at the uh, the baby section of the Toys R Us or some other special store for that. I'm sure the cloths were torn from the, the hem of robes or something they had along the way. And the tradition, he was swaddled. I like this picture because most of the pictures of Jesus, he's like freestyle. He's out there, maybe has a little diaper thing on, but his arms and legs are waving around and his halo is cocked to one side and he's shooting finger guns at the shepherds, you know. That's not what little babies looked like in those days. He was swaddled. And some of you may have swaddled your children. You know, the first three months after a baby is born, it's often called the fourth trimester because that baby is not really suited to be out in the big wide world. For nine months as that baby has grown from conception to birth, as that little life has grown, the baby has been comforted by the tight, warm confines of mom's womb. 
And then out in the cold, open air, you've seen it. I always think it's comical. It's often called medically the moral reflex. We call it the startle reflex. You'll see that little baby there and suddenly all four limbs, those skinny little chicken legs and arms start waving around and thrashing around. Something scared it. We don't know why they do that, but they do. And you know, if the baby is trying to sleep, that will wake them right up and they will weep and cry because they're not where they want to be in mom's womb. And so from ancient times, mothers would securely bind the little child so it felt safe and comforted and could have a precious sleep and give mom a chance for some precious sleep as well. But this baby, wrapped by loving hands, is God Himself. We can't understand that. It's beyond words. It's indescribable. It's amazing. We're left like Joseph to ask ourselves, what happened? This is incredible. The gift is too much. More than we deserve. To help us understand that, God began to wrap His gift for us far in advance. He didn't wait to the last minute like I am prone to do with the gifts that I purchase for loved ones. Oh no. He's the Ancient of Days. And Jesus was prophesied. God's gift was wrapped in prophecy. He was foretold. So we'd be able to understand and comprehend and anticipate that the gift was coming. When your gift is wrapped and it's under a tree and we know the name on it, that person anticipates the gift. You might even know a bit about it. Have you ever tried to wrap a hockey stick? It's going to look like a hockey stick. You just don't know too much about but You know it's a hockey stick. Well, they begin to know that God's gift was going to be powerful, kingly, royal, incredible, even maybe hints of divine. The prophetic message about Jesus, the Messiah, told us something about Him. As He was wrapped and cloaked in prophecy from ancient times, some wondrous hints were revealed in that wrapping. For instance, the ones we're so familiar with come from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, we're told how He would arrive. In the midst of a terrible political crisis, the Syro-Ephraimatic crisis, God sent the prophet to the king, and the king didn't want anything from God. And rejecting God's offer, we read in verse 13, then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel, which is God with us. Well, we know in the short term, it was all about the timing that God would deliver them, that He was with them. From the time a young maiden to have a child and the child to grow to know right from wrong, in those brief early years, the kingdom of Syria and Israel would be defeated and taken away and not be a threat to Judah. That was timing. They understood that. But the ultimate true fulfillment was Jesus. God with us. And of that child, that mysterious child, we're told in Isaiah chapter 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government 
will be on His shoulders and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This is an incredible child, an incredible gift. The Messiah, the King is coming. How do they understand these divine attributes given to that child? They thought it was perhaps symbolic. It it, it told something of God working through this person. But little did they know that the gift would be God Himself. And that those attributes weren't merely symbolic. They weren't just encouraging. Some people would look at that and they say, well, this is building up a future ruler with mythical language. But it's not a myth or a fable. It's history. Because God wrapped His gift in human history. Jesus entered into time. Human history. That picture there is actually a carving of the Roman officials taking census for tax purposes. That is an ancient snapshot in marble of what happened in history surrounding the birth of Jesus. God prompted the heart of the Roman emperor, the first Roman emperor, Augustus, to take a census of his massive empire, the known world, so that he could tax them and organize them and count them and take care of them. And that decision, prompted by God in the heart of a Roman emperor so far away, took Jesus' mother from the Galilee to the town of David. It's incredible. Not only was it historically prophesied, but it came to pass in our history. We can date it. In fact, all of our calendars point back to God entering into history. Don't let them tell you that it's BCE or CE. You'll hear that in academic circles. They've gotten rid of Anno Domini, AD, as the year of our Lord. And now it's called CE, Common Era. And before Christ is now before the Common Era. They try to expunge God breaking into human history, but you can't because it's true. We read, for instance, in Galatians chapter 4, that God picked His timing very carefully as He wrapped His gift in human history. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the time had fully come, in the fullness of time, at just the right time you can translate that, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Jesus was born at just the right strategic time. It seemed to be so long the, the prophets had fallen silent. There were 400 years of silence in the intertestamental time. But God was still at work. In the early part of that intertestamental period, a young man from Macedonia, his name was Alexander. He had a good teacher, a guy named Aristotle. His father, Philip, was a tyrant who had unified the country and put together a great army that his son took to war and he conquered the known world. 
Well, in doing that, Alexander's conquest before the age of 30 gave a common language to all the world. These countries conquered kept their tongue, but they also added to it Greek language and culture. So God gave the world a common language they could use. It was almost like the Tower of Babel in reverse, the Hellenizing, the Greek influence of the ancient world. But it wasn't ready just yet because the Greeks, Alexander, died young, maybe poisoned. And his world was cut into four pieces by his generals. And that left room for an upstart nation based out of the city of Rome to come to power. And the Romans brought law and organization and they paved the roads. The Roman road system was incredible. And a person, if they had Roman citizenship, could travel in relative peace and safety like no time in history. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son. At just the right time, Jesus entered into history. That Roman decree, we see it right there in Luke chapter 2, the first verses. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. Jesus is in history. He's not a myth. He's a historical figure, the most important human who ever lived. But he's more than that. He's more than foretold in prophecy. He's more than wrapped in the pages of a calendar and in the history books. He's more than being part of human history. There is so much about this person that we cannot fully comprehend. It's anekdiagetos. It's beyond human language. It's inexpressible because God's gift was wrapped in mystery. It was wrapped in mystery. The, the little, little hands and feet in the manger, a feeding trough carved of stone because they had so little wood to work with that most of their construction, most of their building was with stone. Joseph, though we call him a carpenter and right away we think that he smelled of sawdust, his hands were calloused from chisel and hammer because most of his work would have been with stone. Better than carpenter would be builder, construction worker. That's what he was. And those little hands and feet of Jesus in a stone manger, a feeding trough. Don't you love a newborn's hands and feet? <laughs> I love everything about them, but their hands and feet amaze me. Those perfect tiny little fingernails you almost need a magnifying glass to look at the little fingernails and if you you can and they do remember they used to they used to print us that we our, our fingers were too small but they would stamp our little baby feet in ink and stamp them on the birth certificate often you find those we have i have a certificate with my little feet stamped to them and if you had maybe an electron microscope, you could see the same little toe prints or fingerprints that baby has. They're perfect. You're going to bear them throughout your life. The mystery is that that little baby, those little tiny hands and feet, one day they would be pierced by cruel spikes driven into a wooden cross to hang 
them there until they died. It's incredible. How? Why? Well, the mystery of who Jesus is, we call it the incarnation. God became incarnate. He had flesh. He had a body. And as we've looked in the past, the the cosmic Christmas story of the first chapter of John communicates it most clearly. The first few verses of John we read, in the beginning was the Word, Logos in Greek, had specific philosophical meaning of a divine power force in the universe. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or couldn't overcome it. And further down we read of the Word, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the One and Only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, but we cannot understand the mystery of the Incarnation. We know the facts of it. We know the shape of it because God has wrapped it in a way that we can understand and read about in the pages of His Word. Galatians, for instance, the Apostle Paul talking about, or Colossians rather, again, the cosmic Christ. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. He's God, but you can see Him for the first time in existence. We could view God and not be consumed by His glory. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him, He holds them all together. That little baby was holding the very universe together. Existence itself was in the palm of those tiny little hands. Oh, he's a human baby. Sunday school, we are going through Max Lucado's incredibly good video series, God Came Near. You have Right Now Media. If you're not watching God came near, you need to be. You need to make it a priority to go home and watch these wonderful Christmas messages. Today he talked about the fact that Jesus was an ordinary human child. Physically, he was just like us. If they had had ultrasound equipment, he would have been pronounced normal, healthy baby. And yet the mystery is that he's also fully God. Oh, He may have set aside His glory, as the Apostle Paul says, but He still, He still is mysterious. God and human. How can this be? The angels pronounced that something mysterious and incredible had happened. We know that again in Luke chapter 2, the familiar story beginning in verse 10. The angels came, said, but the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, Savior's been born to you. He's Christ. That means Messiah. The Lord, which means God. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. (laughs) You'll find God swaddled so his little arms and legs don't flail about. And he's lying in a dirty old feeding trough. What a mystery. I don't think anybody touches the theology as well as my favorite hymn writer, Charles Wesley. You sing such wonderful theology when you sing, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. The second verse says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold Him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. The mystery of the incarnation. We celebrate that this time of year, but friends, today, as the first Sunday, we set aside to come to the Lord's table. It's always difficult, isn't it, to celebrate the joy of His birth, knowing that it was but a step on His road to Calvary, where He willingly gave His life for His love of you. Oh, He was wrapped in flesh. But the gift was His love for you. His death on the cross was from grace. If you'd been the only sinner in the world, He would have died on that cross for you. You were in His heart that day. He gave His life for us. And we come together as the disciples did on the eve of His execution and he shared with them the meaning of his death that was for the forgiveness of our sins to never forget what he did for us to continue to do it and talk about god's plan his perfect organization of everything we often overlook it but jesus at the end of his life as well as the beginning God's gift was wrapped by loving hands. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, following Jesus' death on the cross as He hung there. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. It doesn't take away the sting of death. Jesus endured that so that it would be taken away from us. But how precious it is 
to see that the one they called Master, that loving hands still wrapped him that day. As we prepare to come to the table, let's pray together and ask God to speak to us from his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, your word is clear that in the gift of Jesus, Lord, you changed human existence. Father, that we would know what your gift was, that we would be able to comprehend and understand a gift that is beyond human thought and language. It's inexpressible in its breadth and depth. It shows the love of God for lost mankind. Lord, you foretold that he was coming. You told us some very important things about the Prince of Peace that would come. But, oh Lord, we misunderstood. We looked at the wrapping, and Father, we thought that Jesus would be a conquering king, that he would be something akin to the Roman emperor who sat on a throne so far away. Little did we know that the Prince of Peace was going to bring our peace, peace with God, the forgiveness of sins, a home in heaven, adoption into the very family of God. Lord, you accomplished so much through the gift of Jesus. And now, Father, we remember that he came and dwelt among us. He endured, Lord, nine months safe in his mother's womb. He lived and grew as a child with skin, knees and all of the things that it takes to grow up. He was one of us. But he's also you. He's God. And Lord, the mystery is beyond us. It's beyond words. But what we do know is that he loved us. And though he was perfect, he died a criminal's death. He died on the cross, and Lord, in doing though doing so, somehow, Lord, His death atoned for our sin. And Lord, though He was wrapped in loving hands for His burial, Lord, the unwrapping was unseen by human eye. On Easter morning, Lord, life conquered death. And Lord, that gift that was unwrapped on Easter morning. It needs to be unwrapped fresh and new every day in our hearts as Jesus lives in us and through us. Lord, You've asked us to remember that often. As often as we remember it, to take the elements of the cup and the bread and to do it in remembrance of You. So Lord, we come invited to the table by Jesus. Lord, as we do so, prepare our hearts that we receive it as it's intended, as a reminder of your precious gift. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the table, we reflect on what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church to focus on the important things. They were coming together for love feasts, but it was just dividing the church. The rich ate well, the poor went hungry, 
And in the midst of that, they tried to have their time of communion. Paul says, focus on, focus on Jesus. He says in that, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'll ask Pastor Dave to give thanks for the bread, which reminds us of Jesus' body given for us. Lord Jesus, we are just mindful of the season where we remember when you came and were one of us. You lived with your people. You showed us how to live. But then you gave your life up for us. And we just want to stop and say thank you for your gift of life that you gave to us. Thank you that you were willing to, your body would be broken for us. We just ask now that you bless this uh, symbol um, as we remember your death for us, that, that body that was broken for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lance will give thanks for the cup, which reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, we just thank you so much for the gift you've given us in your son Jesus. Uh, coming to this earth to die for our sins, Lord. And it's a gift we can't ever repay. Mm-hmm. And God, I am just so thankful for it. And I thank you, Jesus, um, coming willingly out of your great love for each one of us here, Father. We just want to thank you for your blood that was shed. Amen. Amen. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Friends, let's stand together and be dismissed in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, today we stand in the presence of Jesus. Jesus who came into our lives at Christmas time. He dwelt among us. He pitched his tent among us. As fully God, he was also completely human. Lord, this mysterious God-man, he died in our place on the cross that through faith in him, we could experience forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, bless us as we go from this place of worship to our places of ministry, whether it be at home or work or school. And Lord, may that good news of the gospel shown to us through the Christmas birth, Lord, may it be on our lips, in our hearts, and shown through our lives. May we be witnesses to your amazing gift throughout this season and all year round. This is our prayer, and we pray it in the name of our Lord Jesus.
Amen. God bless.